So good. Thank you. Guys, on the, on the drive-in this morning, I felt like I was over the wall in Game of Thrones. You know, that the northern kingdom. And so for those who are watching at home, we wish you were here, guys. We really do. That's why we picked that song this morning. So good morning, Storyline. It's so good to be together. Thank you for those of uh, uh, you who braved the elements to be here and to be together. We're super excited about this. Today is, of course, Super Bowl Sunday. Is anybody rooting for anybody? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not actually that excited about it because my favorite team is not in it, which seems to be a constant. Um, when we lived in Los Angeles, the team, the Super Bowl is in L.A. today, and the Los Angeles Rams is one of the teams playing in it. So I think it's only the second time a home team, a home team has had a, uh, been a Super Bowl host. But uh, when we lived in Los Angeles, the team there was the Raiders. So I can't even root for the Rams in good conscience today. So what we usually do on Super Bowl Sundays, and many of you will remember this, is Commercial Sunday. And it's when we have three, four, five, maybe a half dozen storyliners come up, and they share one of their favorite commercials, and then talk, just share about how it ties into their life of faith. And um, we hated to cancel that this year, but there are so many new moving parts in this place that we just felt like it might not be a good idea. So we do expect Commercial Sunday to reappear next year on Super Bowl Sunday as Tom Brady comes out of retirement for his 11th Super Bowl, right? Yes, I know. Some of us have not given up yet on that, right? Uh, but to keep the streak alive with Super Bowls and commercials, I do have a Super Bowl commercial. This is from a few years ago. I absolutely thought this was one of the most brilliant ads I've ever seen. And um, so we're going to play it right now because I think it actually sets up where we're headed this morning. That uh, commercial was so popular, there's actually a small documentary about it, and how it kind of revolutionized uh, a new type of marketing that they were doing. I don't know what they call it now, but basically, um, we used to call it guerrilla marketing or ambush marketing, and you watch the rest of the commercials that day going, is this a Tide ad or not? And all, all of the companies from Budweiser to Crest that were running Tide ads were tweeting out, or that were running ads during the Super Bowl were tweeting out, this is our ad. It's not a Tide ad. Because every single, if you think about it in commercials, everybody has clean clothes on. So it was really, really brilliant. I love that. But I, so I love this line. Does this make every commercial a Tide ad? And the first time I saw this commercial, it reminded me of one of my favorite quotes when I taught philosophy at Lakeshore High School. I had a bunch of quotes up on the wall, and this one was an extra big font and in all red. It was from Blaise Pascal, and he said this, All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever, whatever means they employ, or however they're trying this, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. So whether you're trying to go to war or avoid war, it doesn't matter really. You're still trying to be happy. You're still trying to, okay? The will, the, our will, never takes the least step but to this object. And then this line, which is just amazing. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. So think about how often we wonder and debate, like, what motivated this or that person to do this or that thing? Well, Pascal has a theory, right? He's suggesting that in any given moment, we all perceive ourselves 
like on this continuum, okay? So if you view this continuum from unhappiness to happiness or from languishing to flourishing, we all see ourselves. We experience our life somewhere on this continuum. And um, everything we do is an attempt to move to the right on this continuum. And he would even argue those who take this tragic step of ending their own life are not doing so because they're like, oh, this is awful, life is terrible. I know, I'll end my own life and that'll make it worse. No, he, he says actually that's them trying to move to the right on this continuum. It's a pretty powerful argument, actually. And that doesn't mean, now, it, that doesn't, he's not saying that everything we do will result in us being happier. He's simply saying that's the motive of every action of every man. Now, recently in our series on the Beatitudes, the first words that Jesus ever spoke in public, we talked about kind of this same thing, but we talked about, like, we talked about it like this. God is inviting us to reroute our lives into his anti-intuitive way of living a life of love so that we can love the life we live. And to some degree, it seems as if Jesus is kind of agreeing with Pascal here. There are, of course, so many ways to describe this same sentiment uh, of the universal desire for human happiness. And the point is this. This makes not just all of philosophy or all of religion like a Tide commercial. It makes, what, um, if Pascal is right, it makes our entire life, each and every situation that we come into, our attempt to grow toward flourishing to move to the right, this is your right, to move to the right on that continuum, from languishing to flourishing, from unhappiness to happiness, toward what Jesus called the abundant life. We're all trying to move in this direction. And all of life then becomes that opportunity. So last week as a follow-up to the Beatitudes, the first things that Jesus said, we began a new series on the book of Galatians because it's the first document written in the New Testament we found this similar theme. It's yet kind of another Tide commercial. The Apostle Paul is writing to a group of new believers in Jesus and, um, and it, to, uh, so to, some, to them about some things that Jesus says and what we all want, which is actually this anti-intuitive way of life because flourishing in God is inviting us to be, um, the flourishing that God is inviting us into can't be earned, it can't be achieved, it can't be attained, it can't be deserved. This is what Paul is laying out in Galatians. And he's claiming that in, to move to the right on this continuum, it's not like getting it right. It's not about like believing the right things. It's not about pleasing or appeasing God. It's actually a gift God is trying to give us. He's trying to give us this, and Paul called this the gospel of grace. God's undeserved love, acceptance, forgiveness, and affection. And we compared this gospel of grace to religion and discovered that in the religion of any type, um, and certainly some people have done this to Christianity, and I think that's important for us to remember, that there are people, there are entire movements that have turned Christianity into just another religion, which is why we don't often talk about what we're doing here as Christianity, as much as we talk about it as, like, we are um, trying to follow Jesus, okay? So, but people have done this to even Christianity and claim, yeah, there are things that you have to do. 
to get God on your side. There are things that you have to do to attain or earn or deserve the abundant life that Jesus is promising us, okay? So we kind of summed it up this way, and I put up a slide that looks something like this last week, that religion says life works this way. To move to the right on that continuum, it's behave and then believe, and then you belong. Then you'll get there. That's how it works. But Jesus in his gospel of grace, and this is what Paul is really going to great lengths to to, um, detail in Galatians, flips this on its head, flips that around. And he says, no, the grace of God rescues us first, long before we believed the right thing or did anything good, God came to us to rescue us, okay? The way we put it in storyline is belonging comes first. Belonging comes first, all right? Then believing once you have this sense that, yes, God has already come to me there's, as I am, not as I should be, then we have this free opportunity. Are we going to trust in that or not? Okay, are we going to believe in God's love for us or not? And then finally, the response to that, the natural outgrowth of that is we find some kind of transformation or becoming, or I guess the way you could put it, is we begin to behave differently, for sure. Okay, so it really flips its on its head. So Galatians is taking a deeper look, a deeper dive into all of that. And today we're going to skip ahead into this letter and take a deeper look at this part of becoming. Okay, that third step on that thing there of how, according to Paul, we are actually changed. How that actually works in our life. Because <clears throat> I think his answer... It's really fascinating. So um, we're going we're gonna to look at a pretty famous passage in the Bible, and it comes from chapter 5 of Galatians. And this is what the Bible says, or what Paul writes to the Galatians. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such laws, against such things, there is no law. So those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in touch in step with the Spirit. It's called the fruits of the Spirit. It's, a, it's one of the more famous passages in the Bible. So Paul here is really focused on, like, how do we actually change? How do we grow? How are we transformed? How do we move from unhappiness to happiness, from languishing to flourishing? How do we move to the right on Pascal's continuum? <clears throat> because that is the question we are all always asking. That is the Tide commercial of our life. And and I'm going to just throw out, like I try to every Sunday, just some observations, some things that I wonder about, about this passage. And again, this is just in the hopes of starting a conversation, not trying to end one, okay? So this is not meant to be like the list or the only list or the right list or the best list. Just a couple of things that I think about as I read through this passage. So 
The first thing is what Paul is pointing to us toward here seems to be, he seems to be holding out, like this is how lasting, deep, radical, permanent change happens. And yet, for the first thing we see, it's kind of unusual. You, you wouldn't expect this because when he, when he tries to say what's the nature of this change looks like, he describes it as gradual. How do we change? How do we grow? How do we flourish? Gradually. And boy, we do not like that at all. I, I looked this up this morning, and by the year 2025, Americans will spend $335 billion per year in what is called the on-demand economy. We are hooked on right now and on instant, right? Instant this, instant that. I want it 10 seconds ago, right? Right, now I get ads on my computer for things I didn't even know I wanted, <laughs> right? We've all had that experience. Now, were we talking about that yesterday? And now all of a sudden, here it is. It's like it's before instant. It's amazing. So, but Paul uses a word here that I think just counteracts this very much. He says, he uses the word fruit. Fruit. He doesn't say traits. He doesn't say the traits of the Spirit. He doesn't say the characteristics of the Spirit. And he doesn't say this is the instantaneous miracle that's going to happen in you when you trust in Jesus. He doesn't make that promise. He uses this horticultural metaphor, and it's all over in the Bible, in the Psalms and other letters of the New Testament as well. Fruit, the kind of change that Paul is talking about here, is a process. It's a maturing. It is a ripening over time. And man, that is hard for us. And this, this is the reason, this is the reason it's so important to realize this, because way too often, when we come to a new realization in life about anything, really, okay, we get new information, and we expect from that instantaneous transformation. New information leads to transformation, but it doesn't. That's not how real growth works. And, and that might be how magic works, right? But it isn't how we actually, as people, change and grow. Information does not instantaneously lead to transformation. And I think Paul knew that. One of my favorite things about being a teacher, especially when I used to teach middle school, one of my favorite things about middle schoolers, and that's not a long list, by the way, okay? <laughs> <laughs> They're at Red Coach Donuts, whatever. Okay. Um, is that they grow so fast. At that age, they grow so fast. Middle school, it's, it's the land where the girls are taller than the boys, right? It's like so many weird things are happening at that age. But even when you're around kids like that who are growing so fast, day to day, you can't see it. Parents can't see it. It takes like an uncle who hasn't seen them for six months, right? Or grandparents, and they walk through the door, and you're like, whoa, they've grown. But certain, so they're, and even, here's the point, they're growing like crazy, and they can't feel it. If you ask them, are you growing, they would go, no, I don't feel like I'm growing at all, Right? But it is happening. They are maturing. They just can't feel it because it's a process. That's how actual real growth works. Kids and fruit, all real growth happens gradually, gradually. Another way to think about it is growth can't be seen. It can only be measured. It can only be measured. So if, 
If I were to ask you, do you feel like you're growing or maturing? Now, I know there are people here who would go, aging, yes, I feel, definitely feel like, I know I felt like that this week. For sure, aging. Growing, maturing, not so much. But, um, but you're probably not going to say, yeah, I definitely feel like I'm maturing or growing, okay? But when a test comes up in our life or our growth is measured, sometimes we surprise ourselves, right? Like the middle schooler who stands up next to the door jam, and you put the mark on the door, and you're like, what? everyone's like, whoa, I cannot believe you've grown that much. And haven't you ever surprised yourself? Like somebody has said something, the kind of thing that made you want to backhand them before, and now you just want to kind of push them? Or, you know, or somebody has said some, a critique that would have just destroyed you, and now it just ruined your day. Like this is a, that's a step forward, people, right? So sometimes we get tested like that. And we found out, and we find, oh, yes, we actually have grown. We have grown. You find yourself acting with more patience, more self-control, maybe even some more mercy, right? Maybe. So anyway, a couple years ago, I would have, you know, you would have really let somebody have it if they did this, and that, and now you didn't. And so that's a test of growth. So the kind of change Paul is inviting us into here is not magic. It's not instantaneous. And, and here's why. It's because it's real. It's real growth. It isn't, a cu- it isn't cumulative, like how much you learn, which is one of the things that I just, one of my big pet peeves about the North American church is we have equated, are you growing with, do you have more knowledge about God than you had before? Have you taken more notes about him? Did you learn a new nifty thing about him? Okay. But that is not how growth works. Just like fruit trees have seasons, and this is also important to remember, just like fruit trees have seasons, they blossom in the spring, and they grow pretty quickly, and it's beautiful and obvious, there's also a season called winter, right? It's a season called winter, and it's a necessary part of the growing cycle, but it's not, it doesn't feel like much is happening. It's mysterious. It looks like nothing is going on at all. But even the times when we when we don't feel like we're growing, even the times when we're tested and it doesn't feel like we've moved far forward that far, maybe you're in a season of winter, but growth and change is still at work in us. I love that song because it presents this really complicated, very deep look at what, what exactly is change and growth, right? Like, so much of the stuff in the first half of those phrases, like, we think that's what we want and only what we want. Then if you lose the quiet night or if you lose the silent cry, how much of life do you lose? How, how absolutely imperative are those moments in our life towards moving from languishing to flourishing? And I think that's why Paul is so careful here about calling the kind of growth that God has invited us into, it's like fruit, It's like fruit. It has to be nurtured. It has to be cultivated, and it's gradual. A number of years ago, my friend Stacy came up to me after one of our gatherings. She said, you know, this is storyline. We really should tell more stories here. And so she invented this thing called Story Sundays. And um, we've been doing Story Sundays um, ever since, and they're they're amazing. We're going to do them again when we uh, reclaim a little bit more normalcy here. But one of the things that I love about Story Sundays is that when storyliners, three or four storyliners will come up and they just share part of their life story. And one of the things that I love about how it unfolds at storyline is nobody's pretending. Nobody gets up here and says, my life was a wreck and a mess. 
And then I heard Mike Cook sing, and now it's perfect, right? <laughs> Sorry, Mike, okay? But in other words, it's not, that's not how this works. Nobody believes that. Nobody, when people try to pull that, I don't believe, nobody believes that, right? It's, it's in the Bible, it's even clear Jesus' own disciples don't grow that way. That's just not how growth works. There is a season of winter. There's mystery to it. It's gradual, okay? So I love that about Story Sunday. I love that about this community that we kind of embrace what's real and raw and just work with it, you know? And one famous growth passage in the New Testament, Jesus talks about um, God as a gardener. And he even says this, listen, he says, God cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, Check this out. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. In other words, even the parts of our life where there is some fruit being born, like we are seeing some growth, sometimes God will go, not because not, maybe not that direction. Maybe that won't move you towards flourishing. Maybe you'll trust in that fruit. I don't know why he's pruning that. But I do know that that's good um, farmers do that. You have to nip off sometimes the things that are growing. So growth is gradual. It's a process. It's a story. Patience and even pruning are often involved in real change. Okay? So a second observation about um, a growth and real lasting deep change in our life is not just that it's gradual, um, like ripening fruit, it's that it's the fruit of the Spirit. And I was really taken by that phrase, the fruit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. So the Spirit is the seed that produces the fruit. The Holy Spirit is the seed that produces the fruit. And by the way, the chapters that we skipped over, 2, 3, and 4, are significantly about, this, about that, about the Spirit. How did you receive um, the gospel of God? Well, it's through the Spirit, okay? So anyways... Here's what I take this to mean. Not only is growth gradual, it's that growth is inevitable. Growth is inevitable. Over time, you will start to bear more fruit of the Spirit. If you've given your life back to God, if you have stopped, turned, accepted your rescue, okay, you've given your life to God, that seed is planted in you of the Holy Spirit, and you, you, the growth is inevitable. You will become more patient, more loving, wiser. You will be able to face hardship and suffering with more peace in the future than you can right now. I heard a story recently about a man. <clears throat> he was visiting a cemetery, and he saw something really super peculiar. It was one of these cemeteries where, um, like in New Orleans, where it's a crypt. People are buried above ground. And, and one of the crypts was breaking apart because a tree was growing up and through it. Now, if 50 years ago, when that crypt was made, I had shown you the picture of the seed of, the, of this tree, and a picture of this crypt, and ask you, which one was stronger? Which one was going to win out in the end? Uh, you, it would have been a no-brainer. You said the crypt, for sure. There's no way this little seed can do anything. But the gradual and inevitable growth of the seed of the Spirit, look what that can do. It just destroys this crypt. It overtakes it. My friend, Mike Maxwell, is the elder board president here at Storyline. He does such a great job. And um, we talk all the time about Storyline. And one of the things that we love to, to think about and celebrate about Storyline is that we're playing long ball. 
we are playing long ball. Like, we're not going for instantaneous, magical change right now. We, we believe we've been called to be this community, to do what we do, and to keep doing it, and to be a safe place for people to come and consider the gospel of grace. And so that doesn't, and, and if you don't get it right away or aren't interested right away, that's perfectly fine. We'll still be here. We'll still be here. So we believe God put us here on that mission, and we're just going to keep doing it. And God will do what only God can do, but also what he will inevitably do. And that is to lead us towards the abundant life. So Storyline has seen people come to faith, sometimes 5, 10, even 15 years after they had started being a part of this community. 15 years. And that's nothing. So we're not in a rush. I'm not trying to shove anything down anybody's throat. Growth is gradual. That's how real growth works. But it's also of, by, and through the Spirit. It's not through us. Okay? So have you invited the seed of the Spirit of God to take root in you? Have you accepted your acceptance? Have you turned towards your rescue that we talked about last week? And if you haven't, why not? And now that I just told you I'm not in a hurry with you, I can say that, right? So this isn't like, well, then do it. I'm not, I'm, that's not what I'm saying. When I say why not, I'm saying I think it's a good idea for all of us to have a working answer to why have I, yes. Why have I accepted the grace of God? I should have a good working answer to that in my life. Or why haven't I? Okay, this is not a threat like, hey, you, you need to do that quick or hit the road. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying it's a question worth having an answer to at all times. And an answer that's probably going to be changing at all times, and that's okay. So anyway, um, all of this begs the question, all this change to the Spirit, like exactly what is the Holy Spirit of God? And I get asked a ton of questions in my role here at Storyline, and um, one of my favorite things to do when someone asks me a real theological question like that is to say something like, well, as a PE teacher, and so then you lower the bar real fast, okay? That I can just skip over, no problem, okay? But this is actually one of my favorite questions to talk about and to think about because St. Augustine and Jonathan Edwards and C.S. Lewis talked about the Holy Spirit all the time, and these three guys are like three of my mentors. They're three of my heroes. I love them. I read a lot of their stuff. They talked about the Holy Spirit a lot, and all three of them agreed on this, and I love this so much, that the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity, now check this out. We're going to have to think and read slow, okay? Is the love of God for God. That's what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is the love of God, the love that God has for God. Try to, set, try to let that one sink in, right? The love God has for himself, the Father for the Son, the Son for the Father. It's so eternal. It's so infinite. It's so absolute. It is God also. The love, this love is divine itself or himself. And this is why we see Jesus when he was about to leave earth and his followers were panicking. He goes, no, it's a good thing that I'm leaving because I'm going to send you another. And what he was talking about, he was referring to the Holy Spirit, okay? When we accept our acceptance, when we stop, when we turn toward God, when we trust in his love for us, he plants in us the Holy Spirit. Here's what he's giving us. He's giving us 
his love for him. It's amazing, okay? And in another letter in the New Testament, Peter put it like this. We become partakers of the divine nature. Wow. Partakers of the divine nature. In just one of C.S. Lewis's many marvelous passages about the Holy Spirit, this is how C.S. Lewis talks about it. All sorts of people are fond of repeating the Christian statement that God is love. But they seem not to notice that the words God is love have no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Love is, not, love is something that one person has for another person. If God was a single person, then before the world was made, he was not love. And this is why this, I got one of our little phrases for storyline right from that line right there. You've heard me say this before. God did not create us to get something from us. He created us to give something to us. We don't have to worry that God was lonely and loveless. And, oh, my gosh, I better create a world. And then this is what love looks like for me, you guys. You better do X, Y, and Z. No, God knew and experienced love long before he created the world. And he didn't create us to get us to love him. He to get that from us, he created us to give it to us. So cool, right? Of course, what these people mean when they say that God is love is often something quite different. They really mean love is God. They really mean that our feelings of love, however and wherever they arise and whatever results they produce, are to be treated with great respect. And perhaps they are. And, and I would argue they are. Okay? But that is something quite different from what Christians mean when this, by the statement, God is love. They believe that the living, dynamic activity of love has been going on in God forever and has created everything else. And that, by the way, is perhaps, and I, and I agree with him wholeheartedly here, that, by the way, is perhaps the most important difference between Christianity and all other religions that in Christianity, God is not a static thing. We've talked about it this way. God is a community. He's not a state. He's a story. God is not a static thing, but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama or a story, if you will. Almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. And that is the spirit that's the seed of the Spirit that God is offering us in this rescue. The love of God for God. The love that created the universe and everything else in it and me and you. And love never quits. Love never gives up. Love never fails. Love always finds a way. That's what comes to live within us when we reach out and receive our acceptance. So, one of my favorite writers, one of my favorite examples of how love nurtures growth and change, not just our trying really hard to grow and change on our own. It comes from, one of my favorite examples comes from one of my favorite writers, a man named John Piper. He went to um, a very famous seminary in Germany, in Tübingen. My Lisa actually lived there when she played volleyball there. And <clears throat> Tübingen is a very famous seminary. I walked the grounds of it one time. I'll never forget that it said it was founded... I, saw, I found the cornerstone. 
was founded in 1488. And nothing makes you feel American like something like that was 300 years old when George Washington took office, right? So anyways, he moves to Tumingen with a buddy. They're going to go to seminary. And to, to get to do this thing they really want to do, to go to this famous seminary, they first have to learn German. And I don't know if you've ever learned German or tried to, but it just looks like a horrible language, okay? And they were having a terrible time of learning German. It was a huge chore. It wasn't going well, but they desperately wanted to go to the seminary, but it's all happening in German. And so um, it's not going well. And then after about a month or so, uh, John Piper realized his buddy is, like, starting to pick up German really fast. Like, what is going on? And he goes, how is this happening? What's going on? How are you learning German? Your German's so good. And he said his, his roommate gets a little sheepish grin on his face, and he says, I've fallen in love with a German girl. <laughs> Change. Change. Right? But all, all of a sudden, he falls in love with a German girl, and the German starts to just happen. Piper's over here working his butt off as hard as he can. Nothing. Nothing. See, too often, too often we give our lives to God. We accept our acceptance. We, we believe that God loves us, and then we just, we think everything else now is up to us. Everything else now is up to us. Now I've, now I've got to start doing X, and I've got to stop doing Y, when really what we need to do is nurture or cultivate a deeper love for God. Nurture and cultivate a deeper love for God. This guy needed to learn German to do what he wanted to do, what he loved to do, which to go to seminary. But it wasn't through discipline or his own strength that it actually happened. It was through love. It was through love. God isn't just out to save us at some point in the future. He wants to redeem our lives right now. That means change them for the better right now. And that means that we need that love we need to nurture and cultivate all the time. And, and when that happens... And when that happens, the same way and for the same reason, he rescues us. And it's love that happens that same way. The spirit of love alive in us. Having God on our side, by our side, living inside of us is like having an extra player on the field, if you will. If if I can use a football reference, there's 11 players on each field. And another, uh, in football, in another passage, C.S. Lewis is talking about the Holy Spirit. He compares the Holy Spirit to school spirit. He compares it to home field advantage. And he says, what is school spirit? What is home field advantage? Here's what it is. It's the love that the community has for itself. And that is so powerful, it actually becomes like another player on the field. It actually gives an advantage to the home team. The, the Texas A&M, their fans are known as the 12th man. If you go to a Seattle Seahawks game, next time you see one on TV, you'll see the number 12 everywhere. There's no number 12 on Seattle Seahawks. Nobody's allowed to wear that. It's the fans' number. They all wear number 12. They're the 12th man. So are we taking advantage of the 12th man in our home field? And how do we do that? We do that by nurturing a love for God. And I want to close with this. The contemporary Western church has done a lot of really great things in history, no doubt. But there are two areas, 
probably more than two, but at least two areas where I think it's done us a little bit of a disservice. And they both are kind of in this area or this theme, okay? It's often reduced Christian growth to accumulating more knowledge about God, okay? It's made God a subject to be learned about and instead of a relationship to be nurtured. But learning a subject, gaining more information about God, that isn't organic, real growth. That's like taking bricks and throwing them on a pile, and the pile gets bigger and bigger, and you go, look, it's growing. No, it's not. It's just bigger. Okay? That's just more stuff in a pile. That is not growth. That's not growth. No, it's not growth. The second disturbance that I think the Western church has sometimes kind of implied and placed on top of us is it has to do with nurturing and cultivating a love for God. Too often, the church has kind of copied the culture that we're in when it comes to like to the Western industrialized complex, like, like the mass-produced uh, culture that we all live in, and telling us that here's what to love God looks like. Now, this is an easy crowd for me to say this to, because by definition, if you're here, you probably struggle with that mass-produced look, right? But the church has kind of done that. Like, to love God means X, Y, and Z. And if you go to the next church down the street, they go, no, it looks like A, B, and C. And they're trying to prescribe that and kind of foist it on us, right? And then they, they shove us all into that, and they go, this, if this doesn't work for you, then I guess you're out. But I, was, I read this passage last week from this really cool book. It's called The Age of Average. The Age of Average by a Harvard psychologist, Todd Rose. And he talks about the great benefits of mass production. And not just of things, but also of ideas, but also of the incredible limitations that this has on individuals. On individuals. Check out this. This is so good. He writes... The age of average gave us a lot. Take clothing. We've all benefited remarkably from large, medium, and small size, um, making things affordable and available. But when it really counts, the wedding gown, the pressurized fighter pilot suit, it's custom made all the way. Now that is pure gold right there. If you're wondering why you came this morning, that might be it, right? Cultivating our love for God, growing that in a real and organic way is absolutely essential. It really counts. And for our growth, change, and transformation, and flourishing, and there certainly are, th there, there are things that we all need to do. Prayer. We need to be reading the Bible. We need to be meeting together. Right? Those are universal things, but there are also some custom-fit things. My friend Dave probably cross-country skied here. That wouldn't work for me. My friend John may have golfed here in this weather, okay? There are other people, we grow in our different ways, but when it really counts, we need to, to be open to that custom fit, okay? I think we do a really good job of encouraging that here at Storyline. I would love to see us do that more together. That's a weird thing to say. Share with one another our custom fit way of cultivating our relationship with God. So... Anyway, here's the thing. Moving from languishing to flourishing, changing and growing in real ways is the Tide commercial of life. It is what we are all doing and all wanting all the time. For this to happen in us, we have to recognize that the kind of growth God is inviting us into 
is gradual because it's organic, yet it's inevitable because it's the seed. The seed of this growth is nothing less than God's love, not just for us, but his love for himself. And that that Holy Spirit is not just for us, he lives in us. I just want to close by reading our passage this morning back to you again in a different translation. I could not sum this up better than this. I love this. My counsel is this. Live freely, animated, and motivated by God's Spirit. Then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our life, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way into life able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. That means we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better and another worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is an original. This is the gradual, organic, real, lasting, inevitable, and spirit-empowered change that growing in grace is inviting us into. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time and this space for our brothers and sisters who couldn't be here today for the weather or for other reasons. God, we um, thank you for loving us, for coming to us, for rescuing us, for starting, for initiating this relationship that you're inviting us into. God, I pray that we would live with a deep sense of gratitude for that and really be open to the possibility of what taking the next step in our life looks like with you. All of us are in some place on that continuum with you. Where are we? What's the next step look like for me? What's the next step look like for me? God, I pray that this week you would help each of us to discern that and then give us the courage and the faith to take it and to grow in grace. God, I pray that as we leave here this morning, that you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for coming, folks. We'll see you next week.